0: We need partners, we need to be together at this time of change and transformation. Let's do it with optimism and energy because I think the world is changing around us and we could either get on it or be behind. So I think uh, it's important to embrace that with openness, inclusion and energy for sure. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast,
1: Vince Menzione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct
0: successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzion.
1: Welcome to, or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and for this episode of the podcast, I was so excited to welcome a dear friend and a former colleague, Anthony Salcedo, Microsoft's Vice President for the Worldwide Education Business. I had the chance to get to know and work with Anthony during my time at Microsoft, both while we were colleagues in the U.S. public sector business and in his current role. Anthony is probably one of the most passionate, purpose-driven, and education-focused individuals. I can't think of a leader who more embodies and lives the mission of the business. And what a big and important mission it is, as it so closely aligns with Microsoft's mission to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. In this episode, you'll learn more about that mission, how education organizations and learning have rapidly transformed during this time, the critical role of partners, and how they can best optimize for success and work with and through Microsoft. And we also touch on his amazing career journey. I really enjoyed this discussion, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed my time with Anthony Salcedo. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Vince. I am so excited to finally welcome you to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're the vice president of Microsoft's worldwide education business, and you and I had the opportunity to work closely together at Microsoft. So excited to have you as a guest to share with our listeners the important mission of education at Microsoft, how Microsoft is making a huge impact here, how partners can engage, and a bit about your journey. So welcome.
0: It's really great to be here, Vince. I know we worked together very closely for years, and uh, it seems like too long ago, frankly, but it's a good opportunity for us to reflect on, frankly, a world of education that is changing around us for sure. And COVID-19 has created a huge uh, inflection point on how we think about technology's
1: role to support learning. You know, in in some ways, it feels like Many, many years ago, which it was. And in some ways, it feels just like yesterday that we worked together. (laughs) So, you know, a lot to unpack here today, for sure. So, Anthony, for our listeners who may not understand Microsoft's mission and focus on education, can you take a few moments to take us through that?
0: Sure. I think one of the things I can start with is that Microsoft's mission to enable individuals and organizations to achieve more, it actually aligns to the work that our schools and educators are trying to do to help students achieve more. Our mission very much aligns to Microsoft's core mission. And we do that by supporting school leaders and educators to enable technology to be more effective on managing schools more efficiently and safely, leveraging data to provide better insight to support learning outcomes, and then providing tools and resources for educators and students to be more productive and prepare them with the skills that they're going to need in the future. Certainly, education is changing, and and we need students to prepare for a changing workplace. And so everything that we do starts from very young students, all the way students that are career ready and entering the workforce, and supporting that journey with purpose and, and flexibility, with recognition of the importance of the role educators and teachers play is certainly important. And I do this work globally. So you know we have issues of equity that we have to address around the world. We've got to close all of the gender gaps that exist with regards to jobs and careers like technology, uh, and then ensure that we're celebrating and creating a a role for teachers across this journey.
1: Such an important mission, probably Microsoft's most important mission, I would say. You mentioned, you know, what has happened this past year, or a little bit more than a year since the lockdown. Can you talk to us about how this mission has evolved now?
0: Yeah, certainly. I think there's, we're, we're still in the early stages. If you think about this as sort of a, a respond, recover, reimagine, I think we're mostly still in the respond phase, where institutions that were not prepared and not not really given a lot of warning were thrust into a world of remote and online learning and. It seems a long time ago because we've all gotten used to collaborating and and working virtually, but it was a very, very big shift for schools, many of which who had not used technology actively in the classroom and certainly beyond the classroom. And that obviously has changed the landscape and certainly created an opportunity for, for technology to play a bigger role in the world of learning and transition. I know that we're moving to the recover phase in much of the world, and certainly the U.S. is one, where we're starting to have students come back to school and embracing hybrid learning, where now we're thinking much more about the blend of asynchronous and synchronous experiences digitally, as well as face-to-face learning experiences uh, in the classroom, and hopefully being more purposeful on both. You know, when students return to classrooms in the United States, they're saying, hey, what we did all day today could have just been done at home. And I think it's true in many ways. And it's going to force us to be more thoughtful about, you know, not only how do we optimize our digital tools to be more effective, more engaging, more flexible, but also how do we use our time together? Like how are we using our space, the, the time that we're, we're human together in different ways? So I, want, I think that what we're going to see is really new modalities where the, the types of things that we do when we're together in classrooms are different from the past. And then a lot of the things that we do digitally really accelerate uh, the learning that's taking place. The great news about all of this change, which has been great over the last several years, several months, is been that while the world moved to technology for learning, the role of educators was enhanced. You know, For many years, teachers have been afraid that the rise of devices and technology in the classroom, in the school, would diminish the value of teachers. But I think the world got a very good quick look that technology can be, be done differently. And it requires amazing, innovative, committed teachers. And certainly as we celebrate first responders, when we pass the pandemic and have parades in every city in the United States, I certainly want to have a float for every teacher to say thank you for the work that's gone on because it's been truly incredible. It I has- get a in view and it's been, it's really been phenomenal.
1: You brought up some really great points. A, the role of teachers, right? I mean, heroic efforts by all of our educators, the role of technology and not necessarily being afraid of it, but embracing it. And then the different modalities. You brought up a really interesting point here, right? About how do we use our time most wisely when we're together? I I see this both, I think we're going to see this in the corporate world, but also in education, certainly across the 56 million students in the United States that I know about, that it's going to change, like what we do technically digitally, I should say, online is going to be different than when we're all together in a room, right? How would you describe that?
0: I think they're both important. You know, you know, prior to the pandemic, I, I certainly would get on planes every day to be with our teams and, and education institutions around the world. I still think that that's incredibly important and effective. But it the opportunity to embrace other things will just enhance the value and purposefulness of those visits. Because I can do five visits before I visit face to face, that will give me deeper insight to do different things and have different deeper connections when we're there. And I think that's going to be true for business. You know, when we're together with our teams, it's going to be for a specific reason, and we'll be much more comfortable having our employees and and uh, work that we do, collaborations that we build happen virtually. And I think that blend is something that we frankly should embrace uh, as we go. And the paradigm is shifting. I mean, if you think about the United States, K-12 education was a world where students would walk into classroom. They would take a, a device off a cart. They'd push their books aside on their desk to put a computer down. And while they're with their friends, their peers, their teacher, all the re- learning resources in the school, they would use the computer often to take notes. Then when they're finished in the classroom, they would put the computer back on the cart only to go home and not have access to maybe a computer in some in some cases, not have a, sort of a, a coordinated connection between learning materials and student peers to collaborate on projects. And it's been flipped in the right way where technology is an extension of what we can do. It doesn't replace the work, the value of being together. And I think that's going to be true in business. I've seen far more times where we're going to be valuing our presence in meetings without devices and out you know, without you know being connected in deep in our, to our phones. And then when we're not in those meetings, we're going to be using technology to keep, stay connected and stay collaborating. And I think that foundation, I think, is something that we're going to see post-COVID.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that as well. I believe we're going to, you know, we'd be in the meeting in the conference room and we'd all be on our computers sending emails or yeah. chatting or whatever, right? Now we're actually going to be looking at each other face to face, not looking at each other on a screen, real value of interaction, human interaction. I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself.
0: When I find this, you know, I have to say before COVID, I would be in lots of Teams meetings where I would be, you know, admittedly checking email and you know, following up on other things while I was in a meeting. As COVID has advanced, that never happens. When I'm in a meeting, I'm only in that meeting. I'm not even, and sometimes I even find it's hard for me to follow the chat in Teams because I'm trying to focus on the individuals, the faces, the voices, and the, the content. And that's something that I think has just naturally changed. I didn't consciously do it, but it's something that I, as we've been relying on these virtual connections, I think it's been something that has been meaningful. And I know that when I'm back face-to-face, I'm going to put the device away and try to make sure that we're connecting in a much deeper way personally.
1: I agree with you. And, you know, I've been thinking as you've been speaking that you have such a broad set of objectives. I mean, education is just such a broad set of objectives, right?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's almost a quarter of the world's population that we touch in schools and classrooms. So it's, a, it's not only broad, but it's big.
1: So as you look at that broad set of objectives can we peel back a little bit on that maybe? And sure, sure. and what? And also as you think through it, like what are the role and focus of partners in helping to execute that broad set of objectives? Yeah, it's a good point. I
0: mean, certainly partners are everything to the work that we do. And we try to embrace partners to accelerate everything that we do on the platform. But from a Microsoft perspective, the first thing that we've got to do is elevate thinking about the appropriate and effective use of technology. You, and may, you may think that the first priority or objective for me is, to ensure that schools are using Windows and Office and Azure, et cetera, et cetera. It turns out that when institutions don't have a broad plan or have really thoughtful approach to how they use technology, they're not gonna be successful regardless of what they use. The first thing that we have to do is provide a foundation for the the right thinking and the right approach to what they're trying to achieve. Uh, We've created an education transformation framework that's used by our partners and, and certainly enhanced by our customers, but really it's our core vehicle to support the journey of transformation for school leaders uh, to embrace holistic change. Increasingly, we're finding that with cloud and with data and AI potential, it's no longer appropriate for institutions, you know, universities, for example, that have had individual departments choosing their own technology direction, often at odds with the campus CIO, uh, creating far more inefficiencies of databases security risks because things are not connected, complexity for students who have to use different systems and applications depending on what course they're taking in departments of institutions. That's been what we've been living with, frankly, in our institution system in the United States and many other countries. Those things are no longer really acceptable because the power of data insight, the efficiencies that certainly schools are going to need as budgets become more challenged and pressured. And frankly, the opportunity for us to provide far more personalized and seamless engagement across these complex systems. So what we're trying to do is work with partners, bring things together far more seamlessly, you know, leverage our tools, Azure, Dynamics, Office 365 teams as extensions to what partners are doing, but also uh, bridges to bring things together from for institutions more seamlessly. And we do this obviously so we can get students to, you know, not only be more effective in the work that they do in classrooms, but really generate the jobs and, the, and, and become so, sort of problem solvers for the future. If you think about our core mission in education, Microsoft, you know, our profits come from enterprise software engagement in commercial businesses. Those institutions are looking for talent to innovate, to grow, and we need students who are leaving institutions not only to fill jobs, but to become job creators. So if you think about the long tail, the long tail for education is not just the things that we can do to land our platform and tools in schools, but to accelerate the impact students can make in the world, to fuel innovation, to go into companies to, to help them with their Azure deployments and power platform deployments, but also to start VS code computing in, in a university and then create a, a solution powered by AI or quantum computing that's gonna change the world. That foundation is what we think about. Now, partners are essential to all of it. You know, we we need partners from everything from content to learning management engagement to student information system engagement to everything from dorm management to athletic facility usage to extending experiences across the work that we do to supporting training uh, for teachers through Microsoft Global Training Partners. Uh, So there's a number of ways in which we integrate partners and our teams at Microsoft are reliant on partners to build the connections to customers as well as to really land the deployment and value our solutions can have. So we couldn't be anything without our partners, especially in our education business, because we tend to run a little bit leaner from a resource standpoint than the commercial part of Microsoft. So uh, for partners listening out there, it's certainly something that, you know, we're we're certainly looking for great partnerships all around the world. And our teams are incented to work with partners to help close business.
1: You brought up a Several great points here, and I'd like to peel back on a couple of things. First of all, you mentioned this. I almost think of technology as a distraction with the institution, trying out so many different things, allowing kind of this willy-nilly approach to you know do anything you want, and needing to now be more buttoned up and focused. Certainly, security plays a big role here as well as as just the and then focusing in on a core set of technologies to drive the ultimate success of the institution and the student. But also you mentioned that the role of partners and that Microsoft doesn't necessarily have thousands and thousands of sellers. Really, partners come in and play such a big role with your organization. What are the key elements that you see in a successful partnership?
0: Yeah, it's a, certainly I've learned a lot throughout my career. I started, frankly, in the early days of the solution provider program. I remember actually being in a logo review meeting At the early days of of the solution provider program so i've been working with partners throughout my career and you know it's hard for me to say i wish i could give you a clear answer here but it often starts with people and building the relationships that you know often start with trust and common understanding i have a a, sort of a and this is a tired analogy that frankly my team um, that work with me are probably tired of hearing but I, I always try to hire and develop forks and not spoons. So people who have understand their gaps and where they're, they, they have a weakness in sort of what they do, but are, have strengths that can actually, you know, make a difference. They can make an impact. And certainly we, what we want to do with our partners is to be clear and understanding where the partner's strengths are to fit in perfectly with what we offer and then go together lockstep. Um, and that's what we need to do. And certainly what I think slows our partnerships down often is our teams not understanding the capabilities and differentiation partners have. And I think there needs to be authenticity on both sides. Partners need to be clear about what their real value is and where they fit into areas that, that we need help and support. And then locking together. Like when you put two forks together, that is a great thing that we need to do. I think that often we... You know, on both sides, we get lost in the dynamics of, hey, we got a partner. Yeah, say all the right thing. But it really comes down to what's our capabilities together, what's our shared, shared objectives, and how we can add the most value to our customers. And I think when that's clear, uh, we can do great things. Now, obviously, incentives drive this and motivating often. You know, we've got to make our teams incentive to work with partners and make sure that pay and revenue, all that stuff lands. But in all of this case, it's trust people and understanding shared value that I've learned is the most, the key things to to success.
1: Yeah. You said a lot of great things here. First of all, trust underlying everything. And then you talked about shared value and vision is the way I kind of read it. Like how do we get the two forks together to make the whole I love this. I love the forks and spoons analogy as well, and I do think you're right. Like we intuitively know we need to work with partners, but we're not deliberate in terms of our execution. Would you agree?
0: Unfortunately, that's often the case, and I think it shows. What I found our you know from from our partners what we want from Microsoft is clarity of what we what we care about, what we value, and they, they often will work to support that much more clearly. And when when we're more transparent, I think that ha- that helps. And then I think that we've just got to be very sort of directed in our engagement. Um, You know, uh, be, hey, we're with you. We're going to work together. We're going to work this out. Because a lot of these projects, the meaningful ones, the ones that we're proud of, and this is another thing that I often tell my employees, to reflect on what makes you proud. We often do a lot of work, but being proud of something is different. And when when I'm engaging with a customer and a partner on a project, we want to be proud of it at the end of the day. And it's going to start by saying, let's let's work through the journey. There's going to be hiccups. There's going to be challenges. Things are not going to go perfectly. But if you establish that foundation, you can do far more than sort of these sort of uh, close to the vest partnerships that are sort of forced versus real and authentic. And I think that's a key thing that we've got to challenge ourselves to do. And I think it's on both sides. We don't do it great uh, uh, from, in all cases. And I think there's been times where our partners haven't been really clear about where their capabilities, their interests, the, the authenticity of the engagement is. And I think when we do that, I think we're far more effective. I'd say this to Microsoft competitors. I mean, at the end of the day, the big competitors that we all face is, you know, for me, I often say this in education, my competition is students dropping out. My competition mm. is kids in inner cities not achieving more because they don't think it's expected of them. My competition is girls not, ing- not going in, pursuing a career in technology because they don't think they should. That's the competition. That's the competition, Google faces, Apple faces, Microsoft faces, Amazon faces, et cetera, because there's far more opportunity to accelerate impact in education than Microsoft can consume and deliver uh, solely. We've got to embrace a wide landscape of companies to do what will help us all, that's producing students that will change the world, fuel economies, uh, grow impact, improve quality of life. That's That's the work that we're doing here. And so I think when we think about partnerships, we've got to put that in mind. We shouldn't be in education if that's not part of the miss the connection. And I found that to be the case with most of the partners I engage in education. They're doing it for a reason. They didn't just happen to be in education because it's a huge revenue potential opportunity. Most people understand that's not the case, that the mission drives it. And I think that connects to the way in which we go to go to market with our partners.
1: You said some very impactful things there. How is Microsoft thinking about solving for some of these areas of focus?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, fundamentally, we've got to be clear about what we do and open up our technology to make it easier for partners to extend with and be and listening to our customers. I have to say, I, I've been super impressed by the engineering response to both opening up our platforms and working more closely with platform partners to make it easier to integrate with our, our platform like Office 365 and Teams being nimble to customer feedback on, hey, how do we add new capabilities to fix areas that were needed by customers or add new new innovations that uh, customers uh, could benefit from? And I think we need to do the same thing with partners. Just, hey, let's work on a couple of areas to un- unpack the things that we can do, break down some of the, the barriers that we've had with regards to collaboration because of either a technology gap or an incentive gap, and, and just you know, go after it with purpose. I think that's the, the thing that COVID and the pandemic did. We were just really laser focused. How do we innovate quickly on teams? And, and, you know, feature changes in teams were happening on a monthly basis. And really that was in direct connection from feedback from customers. And, you know, I guess it's a, it's a cliche, but you know, when you listen to customers, you learn a lot more and that's something that we've got to do with partners.
1: And so for our partners that want to engage with your organization, how do they best engage?
0: I sympathize with partners who understand that the, the Microsoft you know, matrix is often sometimes uh, hard to get get through. The first thing I would do is reach out to your local resource across the world. We have I have folks in my team that support each of the regions around the world, Americas, Asia, EMEA, that cover all of our education leaders uh, in, in the world. So we have lots of education leaders that look after their country or geography who are needing partners to step up. And then reach out to the educational leads to help you in that specific region. If you're a global partner, we have global leads uh, for higher education and K-12, through primarily focused on working with partners. We even have a concierge desk to help partners who want to build around our platform. Hey, I want to integrate with Office 365. We have a concierge desk that can help partners walk through the sequence of doing that uh, integrating around tools like the immersive reader for example which is a, a, a an extension that partners can do content providers platform providers can add tools to help students learn to read help students with dyslexia or dysgraphia uh, overcome that easily with within technology that's an extensible tool set we can give to partners to with really in a couple of clicks added into their product uh, and deliver some great value to customers. So there are ways in which we can integrate, and then certainly as we go to market uh, with our customers, it comes. It starts by building the relationships locally.
1: Yeah, that's really great advice for our partners, Anthony.
0: And always, um, at Microsoft.com, Vince, which is my email address uh, you know t o n y s a at microsoft.com, and you
1: know, let's go. Thank you for sharing that, Anthony. Anthony, as you might know from listening to other episodes, I am fascinated by how leaders got to this spot in their career. We got to work together for many years and I've watched that rise in your career and you, this has been an amazing career journey for you. I was hoping you could share for our listeners a little bit about your personal and professional journey to vice president at Microsoft.
0: Yeah, sure. I actually started at Microsoft in March of 1992. So, quite a while ago. It's a very different company then. I was actually you were, going what, 12,
1: 12 years old, or sorry. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> time.
0: Um, and so, it was a while ago. The, the world was different. It's a very funny story. At that time, I was trying to pursue a career as an art director, and I was much more leaning on, on the time on the art side um, versus the business side. I didn't have real interest in business. I was doing uh, my, the work that I had been doing was commercial production, like film production, like basically filming commercials. Uh, I was a production assistant there. I was a painter. I had a fanzine for punk rock music. Uh, I was doing a lot of things that were not connected to the business world. And my faculty advisor in grad school said, hey, you need a business type of uh, focus. At that time, and this is no joke, I was in New York City and um, studying uh, at NYU. And I basically, okay, business, what, what do I do? So I bought Business Week at the time. And there was a picture of Bill Gates on the cover, you know, jumping up in red sweater and I looked, read a little bit about Microsoft and sort of, oh, this is a, an interesting place to work. And that's sort of where my connection to Microsoft started. And I was literally just joining Microsoft for the experience in business. And as I was working at Microsoft at the time, going to school, et cetera, I was interviewing for other companies. And I actually got an offer for a company um, that off were was was offering me a role signing a two-year commitment and i said two years i'm never going to work at a company for that long i'm not i'm not going to stay two years and i stayed at microsoft not thinking i wanted to commit to any place for two years and and lo and behold i'm here almost 30 years i so i've had a, a fairly you know interesting career my early days i was hired to do what was called I was actually in a sales role, but I was actually the first real marketing person hired in the field in, the, in, in Microsoft, and it was partly because the executives like Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer uh, were, you know were coming into um, New York City for press, Wall Street meetings, product launches, etc that was very difficult for the sales team in, in the New York City office to deal with each time. You had to work through the Microsoft Teams in, in Redmond, Washington to coordinate visits and you know agendas and logistics, et cetera. So that was essentially my role. In the early days, I primarily was a bag carrier for the executives when they came to New York. And then in my time, I started building up marketing focus, et cetera. And it was that connection. I grew up in the Bronx and you know, come from a family of teachers. My brother and sister teach in the Bronx. I actually met a, a teacher in the Bronx, the name is Steve Mariotti, who founded an organization called Nifty, which is a network for teaching entrepreneurship. I became involved, not, I wasn't in an education role at Microsoft, uh, and then I did that. Uh, and certainly I started seeing the impact. When Bill Gates was coming to Boston, Massachusetts, I set him up with a, a group, a visit with a group of Girl Scouts in Roxbury, Massachusetts. And this was in rally around 1994 at this time. And Bill was sitting in sort of a round table at the children's museum in Boston with these girls, uh, primarily African-American girls from Roxbury in, in 1994. One of the girls said, how can computers help me sell more Girl Scout cookies? Bill did his casual rock back and forth. And he said, there's going to be this thing called the internet that eventually you can share with your family and friends about. The thing. So he t- sort of gave us sort of a, a scenario of obviously what's happening in the world. And after the meeting, Bill said, "Why don't you work with this these girls on some technology projects?" And so we met with the Girl Scout leaders, and we, you know, they want to you know get some computers. And we, I think, we got some computers from HP to donate to the Girl Scout centers. This was way before this was common. Now, obviously, Girl Scouts have their own cookie web pages and things like that, but. At the time, it was very, very different. And so i learning what I've learned from Nifty, which is expect more, because the biggest problem that we have is low expectations, especially with inner city and especially with girls in technology. I said, I'm not going to teach these girls how to use a computer. I'm going to teach them visual basic programming. So I coordinated across Microsoft customers in Boston area, as well as employees to volunteer to teach visual basic programming, these Girl Scout labs. I, being interested in being a part of this initiative and being somewhat of a geek and sort of a faux developer potentially at that time, I said, I'll teach one of these classes on visual basics. So I studied up before my first time talking to these girl, this girl troupe. And for the first class, I thought I was a visual basic wizard. I was enthralling the girls with visual basic mastery that I didn't have, frankly. And um, I came back in another a week after that. I went, you know, it was every other week. So the next Thursday I came to the students and I admittedly, I was guessing at half of the answers, the, gr- or the questions the girls were asking me. And by the third visit, I was completely outclassed by these girls. Now, remember, there was no Internet at the time. So the girls are not using a computer at home, they're not studying up, et cetera. It was just literal time, based on whatever weak instru- instruction that I gave them in my first couple of classes, that they were learning and learning on their own with computers. And I realized that time, and being someone from the Bronx, I saw myself in these kids to say, hey, I can see beyond my what I thought was my future. I was a kid growing up and, and I grew up sort of the time of Son of Sam running around my neighborhood. And I was very, very protected in terms of going around, etc. And the thing that changed my world was getting on CompuServe with my early, whatever computer I had at the time, starting to seem a world beyond my neighborhood. And I realized that was happening when I was with these girls. And I, I, I said from that point on, I wanted to be making a difference with technology and education, primarily for kids who don't have access to, to these types of tools. And that that's really driven my career.
1: And there wasn't an education focus or a separate organization at that time, right?
0: No, I joined. There was a push. Microsoft had, had many of these times where we were kind of leaning in on education back and forth. And there, at the time I was doing this with, with the Girl Scouts, there wasn't any education formally. But then, Diane Gregg at the time at Microsoft, and she's a leader way back, created this industry vertical initiative at Microsoft. And education was one of the first ones. And I joined Microsoft education, looking after education in the East Coast, so sort of Maine through Florida. And then that evolved to to taking on education across the US. And then I moved to a global role from after leading US education for a number of years where we primarily work closely together. And I've been doing that role for uh, the last several years.
1: Yeah, I first met you. You were running the U.S. education business, in fact. So, Anthony, what an amazing journey, right? I mean, I love the way it started out, and just along the way, all the things that happened uh, to get you where you are today. What was there a one best piece of advice along this journey? Wow, I'm not sure if it
0: was advice or a mandate. I think it came from Steve Ballmer, and it wasn't to me directly, but I think he said this in a Microsoft meeting, and I, I loved it. And it's commit or quit commit or quit wow commit or quit and what did that mean to you yeah i mean it's not our time is very precious on this planet if we're not all in with what we're doing if it doesn't fuel us and drive give us energy it's not worth it you know the thing that i'm all about passion i'm all about being about something you know before i was in education i was known at microsoft as the marketing guy now i'm known as the education guy I don't see that as a problem. It's because I live what I'm doing. I care about it. I care about my people. I care about the impact I'm having. If you're not doing that, it's not worth it. And so commit or quit means that to me. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. If you're not committed to what you're doing, if, it, if it's not going to move you, you can find something else that does and do that because it's going to be much better for your life.
1: It comes across so loud and clear with you, Anthony. It really does that you live the mission of education. So Anthony, if you I had a billboard maybe it's in times square maybe you know near that old microsoft office what was it on 6th avenue i remember back in the day yes, yeah yeah the original you know, office which one was on 49th and 8th 49th and 8th and now it's down by now it's down by times square right the the new office it's
0: 41st and uh, 41st and 7th i'm not exactly sure what yeah where.
1: yeah but it's close to times square so if we had a billboard and or maybe you want to have it out by the beach i don't know it depends on where where you're spending most of your time these days what would you say on it what does anthony want to be known for
0: i want to be known for the impact i can make on individuals and people i hope people think i'm a good person you know what have you but the thing I, i care about is hey did i make a difference on the people who work with me and for me i know that i often it's a weird thing i i I am humbled by the work that we get a chance to see from teachers and even students. But when I travel and I meet with teachers, they're thanking me. And you know, the reality is I wanna be known for the impact I can make on others. If I can inspire teachers because uh, of the work that I do to praise the work that they're doing, if I can give coaching to a student that helps them shift their career, and thinking about their career—that's that's it for me. That's that's something I'm I'm really p- fortunate to get a chance to do. And so that's what I love to be known for: the impact I can make on others.
1: The impact I can make on others—I love that. And you know, recently we had Dr. Michael Gervais. I know you got a chance to work with him as well. It's an amazing individual Absolutely. and the first principles and mindfulness training that he provides so many. But during this time, like no other that we've been living for. What are you doing for your own mindfulness? What principles and coaching you would give to to us about what you're doing?
0: Yeah, it's it's super important. I'm not a, a, frankly, a great best practice or someone anyone should model on everything from mindfulness to work-life balance. I need to be far more reflective here. One of the things I think we advise our teachers and students to do is to check in, to get a sense of where people are. I've never been one to do well with small talk and really even talking about kids and what's happening on the weekend. I never really do that in the workplace. I, you know, when we were face to face, it was just about the work. I'm learning to do a better job of that. Uh, Bring my own humanity to my team more, be more vulnerable uh, with my team and, you know, where I need help. You know, for example, I was doing a, an event. I was on a meeting that ended around 8 p.m. my time last night. I, had an, uh, I was doing hosting a leading countries of the world conversation with our Asia region that started at, at, at around 11 p.m. And I needed to connect uh, with an employee. And I said, listen, I need to get something to eat. And I can I call you before the meeting at eleven, like at ten thirty my time. And normally I would never do that. I would just say let's do the meeting. And I would or, or I would never expose. Hey, I'm gonna I need to get something to eat. But I, I felt like I have to be a little bit more vulnerable here because I needed some time away. Uh, and that that kind of thing I think has opened up a, a, a far better working relationship with my team. We're far more supportive of each other because we're just we're aware of what's going on more. And I learned that, that I got to do a better job of that. And certainly it's helped me personally as well, because I I feel supported when I need to be. And I know to take time to say here, here's where I need some help. And that's help with mindfulness.
1: And it's okay to ask for help, right? I think we've... Absolutely. Yeah. So this is a question I have a lot of fun with. You're hosting a dinner party and hopefully we all could get together in person. We've either been vaccinated or... Maybe some of us are masking or social distancing, and you can invite any three guests from the present or the past to this dinner party. Who would you invite and why? Wow. Uh, I'm, uh, I am guess I should have an
0: answer to this question. The first thing I would say is if, if I'm hosting a dinner party, I'm hoping the guests are interested in breakfast cereal because that's pr- pretty much all I eat. <laughs> how, about,
1: how about jelly beans? Are you still having the jelly beans?
0: They have a choice between Fruity Pebbles and Captain Crunch. They have plenty of flexibility on my menu. I don't know. I mean maybe this will reveal some of the weird side of, you know, so people I look up to. I'm a big comic book fan. So I'd love to have Jack Kirby at a dinner. You know, he he's the, the king as far as I'm concerned with comic books. I love Stanley as well and probably would be a probably a better talker than Jack Kirby, but I think Jack Kirby has so much insight and I'd love to get his perspective on things because he created a lot of the the fantastical world of comics uh, that we're all living through right now in our media. Uh, I grew up loving Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, so Fred Rogers would be someone who lived a fascinating life, was a a kind, caring person uh, that fought for others. I'd love to, to talk to him. I probably need to have someone in education, and there's obviously lots of the traditional education heroes, you know, people like Horace Mann or, you know, people like Socrates and Plato, You know, maybe someone like, I don't know, Catherine Peabody Loring, who really pioneered libraries, women education, was, you know, fought for civil rights, but also created a foundation. She she was really a big figure in Boston where I grew up uh, on sort of the world of education. So someone like that, I think, would be interesting to talk to. You know, so it, it ranges. I'd love to have a musician at the dinner party. I love music and it's a it's an area uh, that I would, uh, would love to have someone talk talk music. And there's certainly lots of contemporary artists that I enjoy and would love to talk to, but there's probably some historical figures, maybe a cool jazz drummer like Mac, Max Roach would be interesting.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Be a great, quite a dinner party, right? We'd have a very broad ranging conversation for sure. I, I'd love to come by maybe for a cocktail afterwards. How's that?
0: <laughs> Sounds great.
1: So, Anthony, you have been an amazing guest. I we could talk for hours, and I do want to have you back on this podcast. So great to have you share this so it's so impactful the work that you and your organization do. I can't stress that enough for our listeners and why partners need to get on board and come work with you and your teams. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Do you have any closing comments or advice? for our listeners on optimizing for their success this year?
0: Well, thank you, uh, Vince, for the work that you're doing. I think recognizing the value of partnerships, the work that we can do together, how to be transparent about that. And hey, let's let's talk about it because uh, it's not an easy thing. It doesn't come naturally for organizations or people often. So I think it's, it's super important. We need partners. We need to be together at this time of change and transformation. Let's do it with optimism and energy because I think the world is changing around us and we could either get on it or be behind. So I think uh, it's important to embrace that with openness, inclusion, and energy for
1: sure. That is just terrific. Thank you so much, Anthony, for being a guest on Ultimate Guide. Thank you. My pleasure. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page, or drop me a line at Vince M at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Menzion. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash partnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.